shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, it's that time of the week, everyone, to go Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Zebalero, and with me always is my good friend, colleague, but let's say but Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you? I'm fine, pal. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're mocking me. I think there's some mock, <laughs> there's mock in that voice. You're my buddy. You're my chum. You're my cohort. My my partner in crime. You're is my cohort. Is cohort two people? Isn't cohort more than two? No, no, no. You you complete me. Oh Jesus! Thank you very much. You had Thank me you. at hello. Who's coming with me? Who's coming with me? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Dorothy and I are leaving with this fish. That's right. <laughs> and of course, if you don't know what we're talking about, those are lines from the movie. Uh, jerry Maguire, and you know one of the things that we were doing this week you know we lost a great comedian in uh, gene wilder and there's oh been a lot of uh, folks online that have been reminiscing about the movies that uh, he was in and what they meant and but of course all those lines are coming from those movies as well that uh, are classic movies when you think about blazing saddles young frankenstein That's silver right. streak uh, stir crazy um, you know, he did a, he yeah. did a, he did a quite a few movies with uh, richard pryor and you know, oh, if yeah. you guys aren't familiar with some of those Gene Wilder movies, uh, you know, we were talking about Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles came out in 1974, and for yeah. 1974, this was a very uh, um, uh, forward-thinking movie. It was uh, it was very racist. It was very uh, um, Kelly. I don't even know how to describe it, but it, it just broke, it broke all the rules. I don't think uh, with today's political climate and and people being so offended so easily uh, and everyone craving their safe spaces and and feeling triggered I don't think blazing saddles could be made today I honestly don't you, you know people so? really no I, I don't think so I you know I don't think things like uh, all in the family could be made today you know uh, because you know Archie Bunker was was misogynist and racist yeah, and, and people yeah. would and a bigot but the the point being is that Carol O'Connor wasn't racist or a bigot or a misogynist he made archie bunker a caricature so that people could laugh at the backwards bigot uh and i don't know if people can actually understand that kind of subtle uh satire and and that mockery uh now i think we're just uh, collectively as a society we're all uh, more sensitive and a lot more stupid yeah i mean and, and to go uh, you know go with kelly saying if you're not familiar with the tv show all in the family it was a show that was on in the uh, late 70s, uh, early 80s. One and, of the best shows ever. And I, that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, this show broke all the rules for television. It was the first show on TV that, you know, that uh, had a toilet flush. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, true. And an unwed mother yeah. and, and all of that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it was really kind of interesting. But uh, if you haven't <coughs> seen All in the Family, go ahead and check it out. If you haven't seen Blazing Saddles, you put that on your list and yeah. do it this Labor Day weekend. Watch Blazing Saddles. Light a candle for uh, for Gene Wilder. You know, think of think of things you'd like to do. You know, play chess. Screw. Sure. Let's, let's play, <laughs> play chess. chess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Kelly, uh, there was some uh, discussion going on on social media this week. I'm going to kick it to you, and that's yeah. going to kind of outline the show for today. And uh, I'm going to let you uh, set it up. 
Yeah, uh, a, a friend, a Facebook friend, asked, uh, posed a question to a Facebook group uh, on how to deal with a difficult partner, and I'll I'll kind of um, just read the uh, read just the general question. It says uh, says uh, how do you teach a partner that EMS is not about them? Hypothetically, your partner has five to seven years experience in EMS, one to three as a medic, and has a myriad of bad habits, including holding signals and angry outbursts when assigned a call when they wanted to eat, but is very positive with patients. Um, and she asked, you know, how do you deal with a, with a difficult partner that has those, uh, those uh, habits and uh, teach them that, that EMS is not all about you? So... Yeah, so one uh, of the things I didn't about the difficult partners we have. Yeah, so I didn't understand the holding signals. What was that? What does that mean? <clears throat> he is he is uh, not clearing from the hospital uh, okay. in a timely fashion, and uh, um, she thinks he's taxing the system uh, by doing that. But he's he's uh, schmoozing at the hospital a little bit, or or, or getting a little uh, little extra time uh, before he marks back ten eight again. Yeah. So one of the things that we thought today is, you know, Kelly and I, um, I think we have, uh, you know, great understanding of, you know, EMS and how, how we, we do our business. And, and, I, and I'm talking about our business personally as we're in the field. And as we're talking about difficult partner, it'd probably be good, you know, Kelly Grayson is one of the premier EMS educators and, you know, one of the, God, I can't get through that without laughing. But Yeah, well, I'm, hey, I paid you well enough to say it. I know, I was get reading it, I was reading it like you wrote right. it. I was reading it like you wrote it. <laughs> And, um, but I think one of the things we'll do is, you know, tons of experience here. We're talking 25, 26 years of field experience, you know, uh, a leadership experience, a field trainer experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to interview Kelly, I think, today. And, okay. and we're going to talk about dealing with difficult uh, partners and, and really how to get around them. But I think the end result is going to be. You know what? I'm not going to give you the end result. Let's give you the end result mm-hmm. at the end of the show. You've got to wait around yeah. for the end result. So, Kelly, yeah. one of the things that I think I, I want to start off with first is, you know, I, I think you and I have a, a good banter, and I think we, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have a good relationship, and we kind of play off each other, and, you know, we give each other the, the kudos, and we give each other. But when you have two strong people like us that sit in a trunk, are we going to run into problems of working together because of our, our knowledge or because of um, maybe egotism or because of... So if, the, if that comes across where you have a strong-headed partner, how are you going to deal with that from the very beginning? Uh, like anything else in any relationship, when you have conflict, the only way to resolve it is communication. <clears throat> and and in listening to these types of God, if if she was the first uh, person to, to ask me advice on that that subject, she's the the thousandth. Um, and in, in these types of, of questions, there's always two sides, three sides of the story. There's a you know uh, one partner side, the other partner side, and the truth is somewhere near the middle. Um, but uh, <clears throat> you get these sorts of things, and and like uh, like any relationship, a marriage, a, a dating relationship, or or someone that you see equally as often, your EMS partner. Um, uh, communication, uh, two-way communication is the key to making it work. And if you don't try to understand where someone else is coming from, uh, and, and also look objectively at yourself, um, you know, it's going to be a fruitless exercise in, in resolving those issues. Uh, and that's, you know, that's usually my approach 
what my approach has always been in, in trying to help people with those with those sorts of complaints is is try to figure out where the motivation and, and the mindset of each person involved <clears throat> and and see if we can meet somewhere in the middle and in her you know in her uh her question she asks um you know he's got a lot of bad habits and he holds signals and he has angry outbursts when he doesn't get to eat uh but he's very positive with patients um you know and that tells me that that's not necessarily someone who is selfish and burned out uh or someone who is selfish uh and uh is not a good fit for ems um whatever his other faults are he manages to keep it professional and be compassionate and and caring for his patients uh that's a hugely important character trait uh that you can't just readily discount because he does other things that bug you i hear a description like that and i think that guy is salvageable you know and and it might just be a a conflict of personalities rather than something uh, wrong with the way this guy practices ems yeah, and I, and I think you bring up a good point. One of the things that I think that you mentioned, though, is you mentioned communication. And I think that that's mm-hmm. very, very important because you, you bring up the old adage of there are three sides to every story. There's my side, there's your side, and then somewhere in the middle is the truth. I love how you said that. But I think that that's true. And I think what that really comes down to, Kelly, is that really comes down to misunderstanding a lot of the times. You know, because as a, as a leader, I've had people in my office to where, you know, I've had them, I've listened to each side. And then I realized that it really came down to just a misunderstanding of the initial message. And so I love how you said that. But let's go ahead and switch gears a little bit, because I think that you, you really kind of talked about communication. Uh, and I do agree, agree that that's a foundation. But what about those people that are just, you know, the, the, the folks that are coming out of e- EMT school, and I've said it for a lot of years, EMS is a very egotistical business, and it seems that the yeah. providers, or the providers, even the providers of today, feel that they need to have that, that exude that self-conference, that they need to conduct their business with egotism. How do you put that into perspective for them, and, and how do you help them get over that? Well, we spend a lot of time in EMT and paramedic school trying to convince people that they're life-saving supermen, uh, and they're not. Uh, and I'm uh, far more in favor of, of quiet leadership than I am of barking orders. Uh, I think it's one of, the, one of the hallmarks of a new and inexperienced medic is one that feels that they need to control every aspect of the scene. Now that they've got a gold patch on their shoulder, uh, the responsibility of their of their role in EMS just weighs on them, and they think that they have to not only think for themselves but think for their EMT partner. Uh, they lose sight of the fact that, that the only thing, the only difference from the marginally competent dumbass they were yesterday, is that they pass an exam, and their partner didn't get suddenly stupid overnight just because you got a higher certification doesn't mean your partner had to compensate and get dumber all of a sudden uh but you see a lot of paramedics that act like extend them some trust and and they will grow to be worthy of that trust and and you don't want to be the it's funny is that the people i see as as authoritarian partners uh and uh often need the most help (laughs) <laughs> you know, they're the ones that uh, they they tell the EMT everything that they uh, they want to uh, want done, and they want it done just so. Uh, and as a result, you know, they've got an automaton as a, as a partner who only does what they're asked. Right. And those people are the uh, those medics are the ones who who most 
desperately need a partner who can think on their own, uh, but they just don't see it. But, you know, we, we get off on this. Uh, I got off on this tangent about authoritarian partners, uh, but I think you, you have to, you know, kind of analyze the situation and realize that there are many different approaches to, to EMS, and not all of them are uh, the way you would do things, but it doesn't make them uh, invalid approaches. Right. You know, the, the, the poster in this thread says, you know, list some of her partner's bad traits. It said, uh, won't bring the computer upstairs to jobs, uh, doesn't bring any other way of recording info either, so he writes up, winds up writing everything badly on strips of monitor paper, won't listen to advice from senior personnel or clinical arguments, even when backed by studies. Uh, it's very my way or the highway. It's very defensive. Well, let's go ahead. Um, but he holds he holds signals is is the big problem. In sure. other words, he doesn't clear from the hospital in a timely fashion. Let's touch on that though. You know, so I think it's getting into specifics. So you know, I think we talked about the overall <laughs> discussion of account of uh, communication. You know, I think we're talking about you know the egotism. But let's talk <laughs> about a specific problem now, Kelly. So you, you just kind of read a, a, you know a, a few instances of where those challenges are. So you as the partner now, and and maybe not as Kelly Grayson. So you know, you you certainly when you sit in the ambulance, you come with a, a reputation. You come with a certain amount of respect, even before anyone sees you, put your hands on a patient. But let's let's just go to the average, uh, you know, the average team that's out there, and they're trying to address these issues of you know everything that you just listed. How yeah. do you bring that up, and how do you start that discussion? Well. Uh, let's take the, the computer issue. She, she thinks he should be bringing the computer, uh, uh, into the jobs, uh, and onto the scene. Um, I disagree with that. There was, there was a wide variety of, of comments for, and, you know, pro and con for bringing the computer there. Uh, I don't think the computer has any place, uh, on the scene. Um, I think the computer, uh, your laptop or your notebook or tablet or whatever it is you do your PCR on is something that you work on after you have rendered patient care, fully assessed the patient and, and established a rapport with them. Uh, but the problem is, is, is we're not teaching uh, <clears throat> new EMT students those soft skills uh, like communication, uh, we're not doing that effectively. Uh, and one of the, the worst habits I see among new EMTs is, is they're talking with a patient and it's not a conversation. It's an interrogation and they're barely listening to what the patient is saying. Instead, what they're doing is they're acting, they're asking the next question in the checkbox, uh, or the drop down menu and they're filling it out as they go and their eyes are glued to a computer screen instead of having a conversation with their patient. You know, and, and I think that's a that's really a bad start. habit. It's, yeah, it's a lost, a lost start. start. Yeah. The patient interview and, and patient communication and building rapport is is rapidly becoming a lost art. And I think that's most of the magic of EMS is encapsulated in that conversation that relationship with another human being right. um and i think that's the recipe to stave off burnout um because you you get a chance to connect with with another human being on every single call uh and that's a pretty powerful uh you know a pretty powerful thing yet uh so many of us spend it uh just superficially um interacting with someone and, and our most meaningful interaction is with a dead gum computer screen um I'm not against the computer, but I don't think it has any place on the scene. Yet you find other people with reasoned arguments uh, that say otherwise. Um, 
which which goes back to my point that there are different approaches to EMS, and 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 two different approaches may be uh, equally valid. Uh, me, I I won't say that I have an eidetic memory, but it's pretty darn close. You get me on the scene. Uh, of a call and and no matter how chaotic it gets if it was communicated i usually pick it up uh if it was communicated said out loud uh i've learned over the years how to file it away and i can bring it back and and put it in my pcr or or fit it into the overall clinical picture and figure out what's going on with my patient so um you know i'm we call it that global survey, you know, and, and you, you try not to get tunnel vision and you, you, you uh, are able to, uh, to assimilate and process information from multiple sources simultaneously and try to, you know, form one cohesive picture from it. Um, and I'm, you know, if, if, well, it's bragging, but I'm going to brag. I'm, I'm very adept at doing that. Uh, but not everyone is. Uh, and and they have to write things down. I had to write things down early in my career, um, but uh, so you can't really fault someone for uh, for wanting to have the computer or some way to record information with them. Um, but you can't fault someone for eschewing that sort of thing and 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 favoring the conversation with the patient instead. Right. So <clears throat> you have to you know she she um, doesn't think the bringing the computer up the she thinks not bringing the computer upstairs is not a good idea uh on the other hand um understanding her partner a little better might you know might uh if she looked at it from his perspective uh who's to say that he doesn't have the the same attitude toward it that i do that uh, hey the most important thing is a conversation with your patient and all that note taking and and uh pecking away with a stylus on a computer screen can take place afterwards because it takes away from my patient care right. and build patient rapport so if you you know uh part you know at least one issue that she has with him might be simply because she hasn't communicated with and and i'm not placing the blame on all the you know saying that the uh original posters ideas and and her complaints are invalid and she's just looking at it from the wrong perspective but if she talked with her partner about that sort of things and and understood his perspective on it uh uh some some sort of compromise might be reached you know, uh, and I think you bring up some really good points. And but I want to go back to the original question because you went off on that tangent, and I think that you really <laughs> talked about. But you know, it was a good point, though. I mean, the point was, you know, it, this could have been one of those misunderstandings. My side, your side, mm-hmm. and the truth right here is exactly what you were talking about. Okay. But but my question, my initial question, and I think that was really good. But my initial question was, how do how do we start that conversation? How do we, you know, whether it's the computer issue or whether it's the, you know, the way that uh, you know you're tapping on the screen and you're not, you know, you got to put the patient back into patient care, or you know, you you're, you're throwing things when we're getting a late call, or you know, you're delaying getting back in service. How do you? Where do you, maybe it's how do you and where do you start this conversation? Are you doing it in the truck? Are you doing it over lunch? I mean, so what's your recommendation for the people out there to begin this conversation with their partner? Well, I think the conversation has to begin with why. You know, the conversation begins with a question because you're attempting to understand someone else's perspective on the matter and 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 finding a compromise and or, or communicating meaningfully uh, requires that you understand their viewpoint as well. 
uh, you don't necessarily have to accept it, but you at least have to acknowledge it and understand it. And and how you ask the why is critically important. You know, you don't get in the rig after the call and slam the door and go, why do you do that? Uh, that's never a productive way of, of communicating with your partner. On the other hand, if you, you know, after the call and, and he's, uh, uh, we've turned over patient care and you've cleared your stretcher. Um, you wander into the nurse's lounge and you, you, you know, mix up a cup, couple of cups of coffee and you bring him one and you say, I got a question. Uh, I'm trying to understand why you don't like bringing the computer upstairs or, or why is it that you don't want to go back in service immediately, uh, after we clear the call, what's, what's up with that? Uh, and, and you do it you know, non-confrontationally and try to understand why they're, where they're coming from with that. Um, my reading of, of her particular situation is, is this is not a guy who is burned out on EMS. This is a guy who's found his own coping mechanisms within that particular agency. He knows he is, be it, you know, whether it's, it's productive or unproductive, he has found a way to get his, uh, time to decompress and, and his time to, to catch a meal and, and get a little free time during his shift uh, without the pressure of being uh, responding to uh, the very next call. Um, it may not be the most productive way to do it at that agency, but that speaks to me of, of not someone who is burned out on EMS or is selfish. Uh, it's just someone who is, uh, you know, that's his way of, of dealing with the pressures of the job. And looked at in that light if you if you if it turns out you know in a conversation that's exactly why it's like hey they run us uh constantly we've got a uhu of of 0.8 and an extra five minutes spent at the hospital drinking a cup of coffee and, and schmoozing with the nurses is not going to tax the system overly and it keeps me from tearing my hair out well then you know if that's the rationale then then your understanding of the of the uh, the partner's habits and foibles uh, changes a little bit, you know, and and uh, you see them as uh, you know maybe they have a different style than you, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong style, and and that might be just the uh, um, you know just a, a difference in personalities, not necessarily a character flaw on either one's part. Right. You know, one of the things that I think is important here as well is that. When you start to have these discussions, you know, you really need to understand both sides because you bring up the, you know, the point of saying that, you know, maybe he's trying to get some extra rest or grab something to eat or he has to whatever that is. But on the other hand of that, you've got to understand as the person who's delaying going back into service that I may be the one who wants to stick to the the total task time and, and get mm-hmm. turned around in the appropriate amount of time. So where I've got to understand, they may want to just grab a, you know, something to drink or something to eat and, and catch a little bit up on their rest. You've got to understand that I don't like to do that. And then there needs mm-hmm. to be that compromise. So here's my next question for you, Kelly, is that at what point, what, what is the point that you now have to escalate this outside of your vehicle? Oh, uh. That's a that's a very good question, and I'm not sure that's a question that you can actually apply a blanket response to. Uh, I think uh, if it's m- my line in the sand would be if this is negatively impacting patient care, or if this is negatively impacting our response times, um, then if I can't get the situation resolved uh, with my partner, then I'm going to bring it to the next level. 
And I'm going to make sure that they understand that if we can't get the thing resolved between ourselves, you and I as partners, I'm going to get a supervisor involved. If we, if, if I make that point up front, then they can't very well, uh, very well complain that, uh, they didn't, you know, that I went behind their back and, and tattled on them. So in, in that regard, I think if it, if it, impacts patient care, if it impacts our response times and that sort of thing, um, that's where I'd draw the line. You know, using the, the thing like holding signals uh, as an example, uh, she says that that's the, the big complaint she has is that he doesn't clear from, from the, uh, the scene or clear from the hospital uh, in a timely fashion. I'll tell you how that thing goes at, at our agency. Um, if we're at... Uh, we all know medics that like to schmooze at the hospital and hang around and milk it and uh, and don't clear from the hospital. Uh, you've probably managed a few of them. God knows I've worked with plenty of them. Uh, and um, they can be exasperating, particularly when you cleared your stretcher and got the next call and they're still schmoozing and uh, drinking coffee with the nurses. Um, however, um, our dispatch uh, center is pretty uh, proactive on that thing. If, if you are not officially uh, out of service uh, on the wall with a, a patient loaded on your stretcher, they're going to give you a certain amount of time, and then they're going to clear you. Um, and, and it's not your choice in the matter. You, they'll give you a page at five minutes that tell you you're due to clear in five or 15 minutes at the hospital. I think they, uh, 20 minutes at the hospital, they allow us, uh, and 15 minutes in, they'll say you're, you know, they'll send you an automatic page that you're due to clear in five minutes. Um, and if the system demand is low, uh, and you haven't, uh, logged in on your computer is available for call uh they may let you let you smooth there for a little while but if the system demand is high they're going to put you in service and give you a post assignment uh and you darn well better answer that post assignment and get in route there they're not going to give you the choice in the matter um and if there's calls holding they're going to give you a call uh and you're subject to to your response time standards uh uh just as if you'd you know been sitting at your station or sitting in the seat of your truck when you got it um, so we really don't have that issue. The, the only time we have that problem is, is the rare occurrence when you have certain particular medics who will, um, fudge their, their status and, and say that they're still patient loaded, uh, when they're clearly not, uh, and, uh, those guys are pretty much, you know, universally despised by their colleagues, uh, because once again, that's one of those things that affects, your response time and affects your, your, uh, your care, uh, ultimately. So, and your your reputation as a professional, that's right. That's across the line. The other things like, you know, schmoozing and, and, uh, and, uh, taking a little free time and, and dragging your task, uh, dragging your feet at the hospital, getting back 10, eight. Um, I'm sure that probably taxes the managers, uh, to a certain extent, uh, especially if they're managers who are, who are really looking at, at time on task and keeping that under the uh, under the whatever standard you set for your agency. Um, but uh, you know, an, an older medic who's been there and done that uh, and looks at those uh, looks at those um, those statistics and, and those those standards with with a healthy degree of skepticism might not necessarily buy into the importance of that sort of thing. Um, I'm not saying that it's not important, but I'm saying that, you know, you get, you get people who've been in EMS for a certain while, they, they develop a pretty highly sensitive BS filter. 
and they go, well, you know, this is one of those things that uh, doesn't uh, affect uh, how I do my job or how well I do my job. This is just the paper pushing part of it. Uh, I don't think it's, um, and it's not all that important to me, and I'm not going to pay a whole lot of attention to it. Um, and, uh, you know, that's not necessarily the partner's job to, uh, to hold their feet to the fire on it. That's the, that's the, uh, the manager's job who's, who is tasked with, with, uh, keeping up those statistics and making sure that, uh, the crews are in compliance. So, you know, me, if I were in that position and my partner were dragging their feet, getting, uh, getting cleared from the hospital, um, I'd kind of, uh, uh, approach it on a call by call basis if the uh you know if he wanted to schmooze a little bit and system demand was low and and uh there there's no traffic radio traffic and and we're not holding calls okay what what is the harm of of being at the hospital uh for an extra five minutes uh on the other hand if if they've given us a post assignment uh or they've assigned us a call uh i'm going to insist that my partner get in the rig and go um it's just that simple, and, and if you can't do that, that's not that's not a communicate a uh, a uh, lack of or a, a style contrast uh, or a style conflict between uh, two EMS practitioners. That's one of them uh, not doing his job, uh, and that's an issue. So you know, and we'll you know I'll address it with my partner to uh, to make sure that issue is resolved. But if I can't get it resolved, I'm going to go to a supervisor. Yeah, and those are the things that I think you really have to remember. I mean, that's, you know, we try to, uh, you know, keep that stuff in the cab and we try to make those things mm-hmm. work. Yeah, and one of the things that I do when it comes to, you know, as uh, employees would come into my office and say they had a problem and they can't work together, and usually that's what you have, I can't work with this person anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, what my answer is it's always the same. My answer is that, well, I'm going to have to separate you both. And to separate you both, I've got to take you both off your truck and I'm going to put you on a less favorable truck so I could take those individuals and put them on your truck. But I'm going to separate you now uh, unless you want to go back and try to make this work. And the reason that I do mm-hmm. that, and I would get a lot of guff from people and especially other leaders who would say, I'm not really fixing the problem by sending them back to their truck. Well, I am because I'm not making it easy for them to not learn how to communicate and resolve conflict. Exactly. I'm giving you the opportunity and I'll give them some tools to say, this is what I think you need to do. And then I want you to come back and give me the answer of how you fixed it. Because if I just automatically say, I'm going to separate you, I've not fixed anything for them. The only thing that I've done is let them know that when they have an issue and when they can't tolerate it anymore, I'm going to make a change for them. And I didn't want them to know that. But Kelly, I, I really yeah. appreciate your knowledge, your experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're a little long-winded, but we'll talk about that on another show. <laughs> but uh, I think this was a really great show, and it's probably time to uh, you know uh, end and uh, give everybody the credits. I'll wrap it up by, by saying that you know everybody's got that, that guy at their agency that, um, that uh, is the problem partner. And, and that problem partner always complains that they're there. <laughs> paired with crappy EMTs or crappy paramedics and they can't get along with them and, and management has it out for them because they're always saddling them with the uh, with the, the rejects and the bums. Um, the, if, if you can't get along with anybody you work with, the only common denominator in all those dissatisfying relationships is you. Uh, and you need to look at yourself and, and honestly ask if you're not the problem partner. Um, and uh, not pointing fingers at anyone in this discussion thread, but uh, that's that's something that you know that that's a tentative communication that you you have to to uh, consider 
um, that, you know, how your actions are being perceived and how that might rub other people the wrong way. But hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. As far as communications and conflict resolution and getting along with problem partners and, and uh, working things out between yourselves and being grown-ups about it, we'd like to hear your concerns, comments, questions, and suggestions. Give us your feedback at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co-host Chris Ceballero, the best partner a guy could ever wish for, this is Kelly Grayson. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.